good morning, everybody. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. In just a moment, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Hey, I just want to take a minute and express some gratitude to you guys. Cut me down just a touch. I'm a little echoey up here. So I am thrilled that you are here with us this morning. I mean, I, I, I woke up and I thought, who in the world is going to be here this morning? Because it was 17 degrees. But you are here, and it turns out you don't freeze when it's 17 because you can wear coats and stuff. And so you get extra crowns in heaven. How about that? I'm, I'm giving that to you this morning, even though I have no authority to do that. That's what we're going to do. So if you're with us for the first time, I'm thrilled that you are here. Uh, what we are doing throughout the month of January and February is we're talking about purpose. We're talking about who is it that God has created us to be as individuals. And then today we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about who God has created us to be as a church. And so if you're with us for the first time, it's a great jumping in place because you'll get to see what we value and who we believe God is calling us to be here as a church at First Baptist. And it's good. It's right for us to begin by reading from scripture together. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words to the church then, but to the church now as well. So Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. A city can't be hidden if it's on top of a hill. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bucket. They put it on a lampstand and then it gives light to everybody in the house. That's how you must shine your light in front of people. Then they will see what wonderful things you do and they'll give glory to your father in heaven. All right, I got to know, what was the first concert you went to? What was the first, do you remember, do you remember the first concert that you ever went to? Because I can never forget the first concert that I ever went to. Y'all, I was 16 years old. I was 16 and I got a sister, you got to remember, that's four, almost five years older than me. And so she was in her 20s and she came to me and my best bud Clark and she said, hey guys, I got two extra tickets if you want to go with me to the Jimmy Buffett concert, all right? And this was back in, I mean, 16 years old. It's in, what, 99. And so, y'all, I, I loaded up with my sister in the uh, Mitsubishi car she had at the time, and we made it down. And y'all, I will never forget going to Lakewood Amphitheater. Y'all remember Lakewood, right? Is it still there? Is Lakewood even there anymore? And I remember going to Lakewood and pulling in the parking lot and seeing Hawaiian shirts that looked like an ocean of those things, right? And you got there because if you're going to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, you got a tailgate. And you get there like two and a half, three hours early, and there's this energy that is vibing all throughout the tailgate section, the parking lot. We haven't even gotten into the concert yet. And then we finally reach this moment where, and keep in mind, 16 years old, I've never seen anything like this before. And so I get into the uh, amphitheater and, you know, there's an energy, there's a buzz. And then y'all, Buffett comes out. And the first thing he does is he goes, hey, everybody, try to amend my carnivorous habits. Y'all, I swear all of y'all can sing that song. Don't lie to me. And I'm not kidding, 20,000 people in unison start singing Cheeseburger in Paradise. And it was as though that was the most normal thing imaginable that could happen. And for the next two hours, that's what they did over and over and over again. And I watched that as a 16-year-old kid and something etched in my memory. Something kind of put itself in my heart that I've never lost sight of. And here's what it is. 
that something happens. Something happens when you bring a group of people together around a common cause, right? And it was true of the Jimmy Buffett concert. The next concert I went to was Rage Against the Machine. And if you've ever heard them, it is not Jimmy Buffett, but the same sort of thing happened. And then after that, going to Sanford, Sanford Stadium and watching 93,000 of your closest friends show up to do one thing, to raucously cheer on the Georgia Bulldogs, right? Something happens when you bring a group of people together. And it's true of concerts, it's true of games, but I will tell you, uh, I was uh, last year at this civic organization's breakfast and there were 350 people at this breakfast here at our church. And they got together and they had breakfast and there was a theme that was going throughout the breakfast is that after they were done with breakfast from seven to eight fifteen, then all 350 people were gonna go out and they were gonna serve the city. And y'all, there was an energy that was present in the room because that is what happens when you bring people together around a common goal and a common cause. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, Matthew is one of the gospels, one of the stories of Jesus' life. And there's this interesting section in Matthew chapter 18. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, they've been going through Gentile territory and this moment arrives where Jesus is asking the disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? And they go down the list and, and, and they, say some, they say you're a prophet. And some people say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus goes, oh, that's really good. That's, that's really interesting. And then there's a moment where Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And in that moment, y'all, something extraordinary happens. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in that moment in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus looks at Peter and he looks at the rest of the disciples and he says, you are telling the truth, Peter. And on this rock, and, and by that side note real quick, on this rock, he's not talking about Peter, but he's talking about the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Now I'm telling you that story for a particular reason because the word that Jesus uses for church is the word ecclesia. And I'm gonna to get to a definition of it in just a moment, but I wanna flesh it out for you what it is because Jesus uses the word ecclesia two times in the gospels. And Paul, who is one of the earliest followers of Jesus in his letters to churches, uses the word ecclesia over 60 different times. And we translate that word church. But if you take it in its original context, and what I always wanna remind us of here at First Baptist is that if you want to make sense of Jesus, if you want to make sense of the church, you always, always need to situate what Jesus is saying in its original context. And that word ecclesia that we translate as church it had a very specific meaning in the first century. Actually, going back to the sixth century BC in ancient Athens in Greece, there was this idea that Greece was a democratic government all the way going back into the sixth century BC. And there was an idea that was present when all, it was, and, and here's what it was, that a couple times a year, all of the leaders of the city and all the important people would come together to discuss the, the issues that were present, to discuss the things that were really pressing on the needs of the community. And do you know what they were called, this group of people who came together? They were called the ecclesia. 
And so when Jesus uses this word, it has hundreds, a thousand years of resonance because when the ecclesia came together, they were doing something important. They were discussing common goals. They were arriving at a clear cut conclusion and they came together with a purpose so that something could happen. And so when Jesus uses that word ecclesia, he is borrowing from common thought in the time of Jesus. And so if you wanna know what ecclesia is, we translate it church and that's good, but an even better definition of ecclesia is this, that an ecclesia is a gathering of people who are brought together for a purpose. An ecclesia is a gathering of people who are brought together for a purpose. And I want to suggest to us this morning that when Jesus uses that word to Peter and the other disciples, I am going to build the church, the ecclesia on U12 and on this death declaration that I am the Messiah and the gates of hell won't stand against it. What Jesus is doing is he is saying firmly and what Paul is doing 60 times, 60 times more in his letters is he is saying firmly that the church is a group of people who are brought together for a common cause. And if we want to live into the fullness of who God has created us to be, then we have some things to talk about, right? Because parrot heads get together to sing Jimmy Buffett concerts, don't they? Parrot heads get together to sing Jimmy Buffett songs at his concert and bulldogs get together at Sanford Stadium to cheer on the team. But the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning, y'all, is, is maybe even more basic than that. And it's one that I know this is gonna seem simplistic, but it is something that we have to do from time to time. And here's what I want us to consider. What is the purpose of the church? If the ecclesia that Jesus is talking about is a group of people who are brought together for a common cause, then we as a church have to ask that question. What is the common cause that we are being brought together around and what is the purpose of the church? For the first two weeks of this series, what we did is we talked about your purpose as an individual. Who has God created you to be? And if you missed that, you can go and catch up. I think it's really uh, pertinent and, and important for you to, to listen to that. But what I wanna ask now, if we understand who we are as individuals, then we are in a position to ask that other question. What is the purpose of the church? And while it might seem a simplistic question, y'all, if we are willing to be honest with ourselves, and that's what I want us to do this morning, to be honest with ourselves far too often, I think we get the answer to that question wrong. If you're paying attention to the news at all over the past few, I don't know, couple, last couple of weeks, because uh, it's caucus season in America. You know what that means? Y'all know what that means? It's political time again, and it's an election year, not just a regular election year, but a presidential election year. And it's January, and I'm already tired of it, okay? But it's coming down the pipe. And if you've been paying attention, last week there were the Iowa caucuses. And this week there's the New Hampshire primary. And we're in this season where people are going to the polls to figure out who's going to be the Democratic nominee, who's going to be the Republican nominee. And I was reading in the Wall Street Journal last week as we're getting ready for the Iowa vote. 
and this article, y'all, it was a front page article in the Wall Street Journal. There was an accompanying article in the New York Times. And so you got uh, conservatives and liberals both thinking about this. And the headline in the Wall Street Journal article was how evangelical voters will decide this election. And the entirety of the article was talking about how Christians are going to be the ones who will decide this election. And for far too many people, what has happened in our culture is we have reduced the whole of the Christian faith into a political power grab. And our purpose is to secure the White House for our preferred political party. And in the midst of this article, y'all, I gotta tell this to you that there was one guy who's leading a particular organization and they ask him about his evangelical background. And y'all listen to this. He says that he has never read the Bible in his life. He said that he has never been to a church. He says in the article that he is an evangelical and yet he says Jesus did not die for his sins. And what I want to tell you this morning is that man is neither a follower of Jesus nor a faithful teller of truth. And for so many people in our culture, why do you think the church has been in decline? Because the church's purpose has been co-opted in far too many circumstances by people who are only interested in political power. So what is the purpose of the church? I was reading a book. I've mentioned this book to you before. It's by a man named Rod Dreher, and he wrote a book called The Benedict Option. And it's really a fascinating book because in The Benedict Option, what Dreher says is that American culture has just gotten so out of whack and our values and our moral fabric are just so misaligned with where we were 50, 60 years ago. And y'all, hey, listen, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying that he's wrong. But what Dreher says in his book, The Benedict Option, is that where the church is and in this day and age, and if the church is going to have a future, then the best thing we can do is to remove ourselves from cultural conversation, that we need to basically create a barrier to build a wall around the church and the rest of culture and just hang on because the ride is going to be rocky and bumpy. And Dreher is followed and listened to in this idea is part of the mainstream of Christian thought. What is the purpose of the church to, to back away from culture and to let it just go to hell? Is that true? And I think if we want to be honest with ourselves and more importantly, if we want to listen to what Jesus has to say, we have to recognize that that's not what the gospel calls us to. I read to you just a moment ago from Matthew chapter five. Uh, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I say this all the time. If you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus and you wanna get an idea of what following Jesus is all about, go and read Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's really quick. You can read it in about 20, 25 minutes. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching that Jesus has ever given. And what is happening in the Sermon on the Mount is that thousands of people have come to listen to this master teacher. And it's this mishmash of humanity of rich and poor and Jewish and Gentile and every different mixture of people you could imagine in the ancient world. And Jesus is teaching them about how they can live as individuals. And Jesus is teaching them about how they are called to live as the ecclesia, as the church, as the community of people who come together for a common purpose. And if we want to know why the church exists, 
then all we really need to do is listen to Jesus. And what he says in Matthew chapter five, y'all, it is something that if you grew up in church, you've heard it a thousand times, but we need to hear it one more time. And here's what Jesus says, that if you wanna know the purpose of the church, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are a city that is on a hill and that city cannot be hidden. And the goal of the church, if you are the light of the world, the goal is to shine that light out into the darkness so that they can see and so that truth can be told and so that lives can be touched. And so if you want to know, according to Jesus, what is the purpose of the church? You are called to be light. You are called to be salt. You are called to go out and do incredible things, listen, so that people might see it, Jesus says, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose and the goal of the church, y'all, is simple. We are salt and we are light. And so what I wanna do for the rest of this week and what I wanna do next week as well is to dig a little more deeply into that question. If we are called to be light, if we are called to be people who show the goodness of God out in the world, in particular here in Augusta, Georgia in 2020, I almost said 2023, but in 2024, what does that mean for us? Very practically, boots on the ground. And I, I wanna just share this with you, y'all, because it's been on my heart since 2018. It's something we began talking about pre-COVID and now we're ramping it back up again, that we believe here at our church, our purpose is really pretty simple. It is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to this community of faith. And I wanna spend a little bit of time working through those two things this morning, because if we are the light of the world, the light that we are called to shine is the light of Jesus. We're connecting people to Christ and to this community of faith, to this ecclesia. And so let's talk a little bit about that this morning. What does it mean in practice for the first thing for us to live into the core of our existence? Because here's what it is, to connect people to Jesus. What does it look like for us to connect people to Jesus? And I wanna be real clear on this because for far too many people, what they believe is that the sum goal of Christianity is to get people to bow their head, to close their eyes, to pray basically, God, I know I'm a sinner. You died for me. Please come in my heart and save me so that I can go to heaven when I die. That's what many people, that's what I was taught the goal of the Christian faith was, connecting people to Jesus, accept him into my heart so that I can go to heaven when I die. And y'all, let me tell you something, that is true and that is good. But if we stop there, we are actually missing out on the full extent of the gospel. Because the gospel, part of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, but the whole of the gospel is far more revolutionary. And when we connect people to Jesus, we are connecting them to the whole of the gospel story. That Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world, but he is resurrected on the third day that he ascended to the Father in heaven. And according to Jesus, he says that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him today. And so the gospel announcement is nothing short of this statement that Jesus Christ is Israel's Messiah. And more importantly for us, he is the world's true Lord. And if Jesus is the world's true Lord, then that means we look forward to experiencing him, not only when we go to heaven, but right here and right now. 
that the gospel announcement is that we are putting our lives in a position where every single day we are listening to his advice to turn the other cheek. We are listening to his advice that says you can't take your stuff with you when you die. So live generous, extravagant lives here. We are listening to what he teaches us and how he shows us to live. And his people are called together with a purpose to go out and embody this Jesus way out in the world right here and right now. And friends, y'all need to hear me say this this morning. There are far too many people in this country. There are far too many people in Augusta, Georgia that have no idea about the radical power that is present in this Jesus way. We need to connect people to Jesus because I don't know if you know this. I haven't quoted some statistics for you in a while, but you know I love to do it. That according to the Pew Research Group, right, the leading religious research uh, group in the United States, a full 27% of all Americans, when they are asked with what religious faith do you identify, the answer that they give now is none. No religious faith at all that they believe they determine their own course in life and that they'll live and they'll die and that's the end of their story. 27% of all Americans, no matter how old you are. And if we wanna drive that statistic even further, y'all 40% of people 40 and under, when they were asked with what religious faith do you identify, the answer that they gave is we don't have a religious faith. And Jesus is just another person who lived and he died. Y'all, listen to me. There are enough people in Augusta, Georgia. Some people, somebody said to me the other day, they're talking about another church in the city. And they said, hey, how about your competition over there, that other church? And I laughed because I said, y'all, another church is not our competition. What we are dealing with is a culture that is increasingly secularized and putting their hope in something other than Christ. And we, y'all, have work to do. And so if our church is going to live into our purpose, I know this sounds simplistic, but at the core of who we are, we exist to connect people to Jesus. And we need to think through that lens on every penny that we spend as a church. How is what we are doing going to show people the goodness of the gospel? When we hand out food and financial assistance to people on Tuesday morning, why are we doing it? Because we're good people, maybe. But ultimately, we are doing it because we want them to connect with Jesus. Because we want their lives to be transformed by his goodness, both now and forevermore. Y'all, Jesus is the reason we are here. I, I always get tickled, y'all, because, you know, I've been here almost seven years and still it doesn't happen as often as it used to because y'all are getting uh, accustomed to me by now. But every once in a while, somebody will still come up to me and say, Will, I just love how much you talk about Jesus on Sunday morning. Y'all, what else are we supposed to talk about? He's the reason that we exist as a people. And don't you ever forget that if you follow him, it is part of your task it is part of your privilege to go out and share his way with the world. And so what do we exist for? You bring a group of people together around a common purpose, we can change the world. And the first thing I want you to know is that we exist to connect people to Jesus Christ. 
And the second piece is connected to it. And I don't want to spend quite as much time on it this morning, but if you want to know why we exist, what I said to you, what you see at the top of your bulletin, we exist to connect people to Jesus Christ. And the second part of that is this, to connect people to his church, to connect people to his ecclesia. Because Jesus makes a bold statement. He says that the gates of hell will not stand against his church. And y'all, we here at First Baptist Church believe that not only are we called to connect people to Jesus, but we are called to connect people to his church and in particular to this community of faith. And I have to be really, really clear on this because there is this notion that is prevalent in American culture in particular, that I can be spiritual, but not religious, that I can uh, have a personal relationship with Jesus and I don't need to go to church. And what I want you to know is that if you take scripture seriously, don't listen to me, go read it for yourself. The concept of an individual Christian, a solitary Christian makes about as much sense as the phrase adulterous wife. They don't go together. To be a Christian means to live in community with other people. Paul, the guy I talked about a little earlier, 13 letters in the New Testament. And over and over again, the language that he uses, he talks about the body of Christ. When he talks about the church, he talks about us as a body. And each one of us plays a different role. And each one of us has a different gift that we bring to the table. And y'all... What is a body without a head? And what is a body without a leg? And what is a body without an eye? And you can go on and on. And, and Paul says, it's the same way with the church. That if we want the church to be all that it can be, that it takes you and it takes me living in intentional community together. Go back and read the book of Acts. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They worshiped together. And so for us here at First Baptist, what we believe is that our purpose as a church, first and foremost, to connect people to Jesus, but then just as important, right below it in its importance level, is to connect people to this church. Because I think, I don't know, I'm a little biased, but I think this church has something special to offer to the world. I think in Augusta, Georgia, we are a place that unashamedly says that women can serve on this same platform as me, proclaiming the goodness and the glory of God and the resurrected Christ. Y'all, that's a rare and beautiful thing. We are unique in that we hold authoritative this book that tells us about who Jesus is and who we are. Y'all, I want people to connect with this church because in a world where churches have become cynical and angry far too often, what we need is a church that's filled with light and love and hope. And I want us to be that sort of place. We exist to connect people to Jesus Christ and to this community of faith. Parrot heads get together and they sing songs and bulldogs get together and they sing chants. What does the church do when we get together? And my deepest hope for us is that we are people who take seriously the call to connect people to Jesus Christ and to connect people to this community of faith. And so while this sermon is ultimately about us collectively as a community, there is an individual component to it. And so here's the question that I want you to wrestle with. As you go throughout your week, here's the question I want you to wrestle with, and this is it. How are you individually 
helping God's church live into the fullness of its purpose? How are you as an individual helping God's church live into the fullness of its purpose? How many people have you talked to about the radical grace of Jesus Christ? Parents, how often have you had conversations with your children about taking a step in faith and following Jesus? Baby boomers who are retired and you've served a lot of time in the church, uh, I got news for you. There is no such thing as retirement in the church of Jesus Christ, right? How many of you are willing to step up and serve and rock babies on a Sunday morning and go and sing and dance in our kids' worship? Because you have a role to play in this church. If we're going to live into the fullness of our purpose, y'all, you got to ask the question, what are you doing to help the church live into its fullness? Ultimately, that is the question that we have to wrestle with. But I want to end with this. The ecclesia is a group of people who come together for a common purpose. And according to Jesus, that is exactly what we are, an ecclesia, a beautiful collection of humanity from all different walks of life who come together to connect people to Jesus Christ and to this community of faith. So how are you helping us live into that purpose? With that on your heart, let's take a few minutes now and let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for the morning that you have given us for the opportunity to sing and to celebrate you. And, and right now, oh God, I simply wanna ask that you would work on our hearts. I wanna ask God that you would begin to do something in our souls, stir in us a passion for your church, God, because so many of us, have begun to take it for granted that the church is a place you come on Sunday morning or a thing you do for an hour, but God, a church at its best. Church, according to Jesus, is a collection of people who change the world. So God, may we go out from this place and tell people about Jesus. May we go out from this place and invite others to come and be a part of this community. God, we are grateful for all that you have done. Right now, I want to ask that you put someone in each of our minds and give us the courage, give us the audacity to go and be the church to them this week. God, we are grateful for all your many gifts, but, but right now we are grateful for Jesus. Continue to be with us as we worship. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.